Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast. I'm Jason Staples, together with Eric Rostad, and this podcast is dedicated to the influences of influencers, the books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books so important and influential, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about them. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Today, we're going to cover the book, Who?, a story Ooh. about the founding of the band Who. Who. The Who. Just kidding. This is a book about hiring. It's by Jeff <laughs> Smart and Randy Street. And if you put their names together, it's Smart Street or Street Smart, which is a good description of the book. A lot of practical ideas. A book focused on simple and objective process for hiring. Noah Kagan recommended the book in Tools of Titans. He's the 30th employee at Facebook, or he was. He was the fourth at Mint. He's the founder of SumoMe. That's Mint.com, not the U.S. Mint, which would have been, made him a very old man. but And probably wealthy. Yeah, well. <laughs> he's if probably he's, wealthy either way. Yeah. Yeah. If he got some of those stock options at uh, as the 30th employee at Facebook, he's, he's I, doing all right. I think he's doing fine. At 160 bucks a pop. Free tools. Uh, so he's founder of SumoMe, which offers free tools to grow website traffic. The authors of this book, Jeff Smart and Randy Street, they both work for GH Smart, an advisory firm that exists to help leaders amplify their positive impact in the world. Jeff is the chairman and founder of that company. He's uh, the author of the New York Times bestseller, Leadocracy, and co-author of a book called Power Score. Randy Street is the man, uh, is a managing partner at, at GH Smart and co-author of PowerScore. And he's a, a leadership advisor to boards and CEOs and an internationally acclaimed public speaker. So um, those are the, the authors of the book. So should we, should we start it, off with the overview again? Like internationally acclaimed? Um, just two nations. I mean, if one person in Canada likes you, you're set. I, you know, I need to I need to work on getting getting a contact somewhere you know internationally that that can acclaim me. Yeah, you just need one. Yeah, and, I, and you're I, set. I think I think I think that's got to be. That, that, I think I'll put that on my 2018 goals. I mean, I got my goals for 2017, and you know, I'm about. I'm, it looks like I'm going to miss on about half of them, so some of them will roll over. But I, I got some others in there. But I think it's a little much to try to find an acclaimer in another country. But you know, I, I want to I want to be internationally acclaimed. I would just go to Fiverr.com and see if if uh, if someone will acclaim if you. You can pay somebody somebody five bucks to it to acclaim you from yeah, there, Canada. There we go. Okay, I, I think that that might work. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and get into the overview before before we get More into our favorite quotes. Yeah. All right. So my my uh, quick and easy overview here is that this was a simple, straightforward approach to hiring. Uh, my, myself, I've never had to hire anyone, so it was it was a good book in understanding what what goes into hiring and in more of a what should go into hiring yeah what should go into hiring and more uh i view this as one of those books that's going to be a good reference book to look through at that time so i kind of read it in that vein of um this is great information not immediately applicable to to me but uh great advice and uh also kind of helped me just think through if if i was to apply for a job um what how would I prepare and, and that sort of thing? So it was good on those two fronts, both if I do hire someone in the future and um, uh, if I'm the interviewee on, on uh, in some other phase of life. 
And in just in terms of the time frame, I uh, so for the for the Books of Titans project, I chose 52 books and then I went to randomizer.org <laughs> and you can put in a list. I, I must do this every day for my to do list just to mix things up. Um, I'll put in my to do list in there and randomize it. And oh, then it's like someone else's someone else has chosen what, uh, what order I, I work on things. And, uh, for some reason I can just fly through stuff like that. But if I write down the order and how it, I should do it, I can't do it. But anyway, I did that for the 52 books that we're reading this year for, for books of Titans. And so it's a, a completely random list, um, of, of the order. And it was, it, it's interesting that this book fell in between two, uh, two Two other books, the first being Effective Executive, which we covered last week, and then after this book is Start With Why. So the Effective Executive really focused a lot on on the personal you, like uh, who, but in a personal sense of, of, of being an effective manager of yourself, uh, manager of your time, and, and stuff like that. This book covers the who, uh, and they say if you get the who right, then uh, you'll get the what right the, the who people will get the what right in your company. And next week's book start with why covers the why. And, um, and the premise of that book is if you start with why, then the what and the how follow. So it's, it's, uh, just an interesting three set book here, uh, and, and how they, they fit together. Three books. So we'll, set. we'll talk about, so what's that? <laughs> or a three book set. You mean, Oh yeah, your Lexicia kicked in there. You said three set book, but uh, oh, <laughs> but yeah, step. It, it, this this does go really well with the other two. I mean, it, it, uh, it it's interesting the way that they each are emphasizing something different, but they all go together. Now, the interesting thing to me about start with or about about who or what I what I might refer to as the owl book, um, the uh, the the interesting thing here is that they say start with who, but at the same time when they're talking about how you decide who to hire and who to bring in, what do you actually have to start with? Defining what you want. Yeah. It's it. So that's one of the things that's interesting about this book to me is everything is about who, and you, you have to really emphasize that you get the right people in your company, but you know that they're the right people when they fit. And we'll, we'll talk about this when we get it further into the, into the uh, more, more detailed zone here. Uh, in a little bit, but you know, when they fit the scorecard of uh, what you have of the what that you have envisioned for that specific role, and one of the problems that they that they flag about why people hire poorly is oftentimes they don't adequately define what they want from who from from whom they are hiring. So, uh, so I found that interesting that it's a book about who. But in order to get the who right, you have to get the what right to hire a good who. But then here's the here's where it gets you know kind of in, uh, a little bit you know inceptionist uh, or in- inception esque is the real thing that that needs to be done in order to get that who done properly in order to bring in uh, or, or in order to get the what done properly in order to bring in the proper who. So this is getting you know all confusing and the use of these various uh, interrogatives, but the thing that needs to, to happen first is the executive or the manager or whoever's making the hire has to actually have the who taken care of with themselves, right? So in order to be able to make the good scorecard, in order to be able to, to set the, 
direction that you want that affects who you're going to hire and make sure that you get the right who, you actually have to become or you have to first be an effective executive. And so that actually is where reading this right after Drucker's book actually works really well because uh, it is about who still, but sometimes the who is you. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that that's one of the things that stood out to me, sort of looking at these two books or at, at these two books, you know, that one and this one, and in this order, is yeah, who is everything in the company, but the first who who sets the direction has to set the what for everybody else, and then that is going to determine everything else. So that that's where the the company has to be solid uh, at the very at the very top in in terms of leadership level and in terms of uh, the people who are going to be handling that. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I see a market opportunity here to write a book about the when and the where, because no <laughs> one's covering that at all. Yeah, yeah, that actually, uh, we, we should we should go ahead and do that for our uh, fourth and fifth books of the series, and then maybe try to get them uh, get them packaged. Uh, you know, you can buy these as a package <laughs> deal on Amazon or something. Uh, who knows? But yeah. well, uh, we, well, we'd have to define where that they could purchase it. Yeah, well, I mean, that would be. That would uh, certainly you'd want to be in Amazon and, and Walmart, of course, you know, got to got to make sure you're there. That's that's true success. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the other things, one of my uh, if, we're, if we're talking about overviews or if we're talking about initial reactions, uh, one of the things that stood out to me in this book is the way that they they really do put their finger on the problem of, you know, one of the one of the quotes in here is what is a resume? It's a record of a person's career with all the accomplishments embellished and all the failures removed. And. That, of course, makes hiring very difficult because, you know, you're, how much information do you really have on someone from the outside that you're trying to bring in to, jo- to join a team? And, you know, how, do you, how can you go about making sure you don't hire a lemon uh, and, you know, that you hire the best possible candidate uh, for you or at least a candidate who is an A candidate to use their uh, an, an a, uh, uh, a player, as they, as they call it, um, that that is is extremely difficult and uh one of the other one of my initial reactions on this i'm reading it obviously coming from the world of academia uh is uh wow this is uh their 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 way of advocating hiring is pretty close to as opposite how academic job searches have or, or happen for faculty how academic job searches are uh are uh prosecuted or are uh uh, executed. Executed, I suppose. Prosecuted is about as good a word as you're going to get for that, actually. <laughs> but how ac- academic job searches are executed, it is as pretty close to as opposite this process as you can get. And so one of my initial reactions was, uh, I don't want to say rage, but a little bit of simmering anger as I continue to get more and more disenchanted by the uh, academic hiring process, which is uh, so frustrating because it it does not take a rational or a uh, best, you know, it does not, these, these searches don't take the, the, the uh, approaches that are most likely to lead to getting, uh, hiring the best fit or the best candidate or whatever. Uh, whereas, you know, it's something like this book would, uh, or, or like the, uh, the method advocated in this book uh, would be much more likely to work. But unfortunately, uh, getting this sort of thing to, to be employed in, a, uh, in, in the culture of higher ed uh, for faculty hires would be uh, pretty close to impossible, it seems. So, well, and, and does academia still use uh, resumes or 
Well, it's it, it's it's curriculum uh, Wetai or uh, CVs yeah, uh, that yeah. are used. So they're they're actually beefed up resumes that you know. The, 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 there are a couple primary differences in, in academia where basically a CV is all the stuff that you've done that is supposedly relevant to the job. So you list out you know your your prior jobs, your your articles that published, uh, your, your the prior books you published, presentations, things like that. Uh, but unlike a resume, these, you know, a CV might go on for 30 pages. Uh, you know, resumes yeah, are one, usually one, one of, or two pages, right? One of my clients, a marketing professor, his is 40. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've seen some really, really large uh, uh, CVs before. And, you know, in, in, in academia, you know, you know, there is a sense that, uh, you know, bigger is better in that among a lot of people. So, uh, so it is a little different than... Um, uh, than a resume where generally you're trying to boil it down ideally to one page or, you know, if, once you're at the executive level or, you know, you've got a lot more experience, you know, you're going, what, two or three pages at max uh, with a CV and, and you have, you know, things like, oh, these are my core competencies. These are things that I do well. And you just list those things on your resume or, you know, when I was in this job, I, you know, was responsible for these things and I did these things. These were outcomes or whatever. That stuff's just not on a CV, Right. Yeah. What you do is you list, these are my peer-reviewed articles. These are the courses that I've taught at these various institutions. These are the books uh, that, I've, that I've written. These are the presentations that I've given. These are the service opportunities that I've, that I've uh, been engaged in, and et cetera. And you just list all that out, and that's that. Uh, and, and so it's a little bit different, but it's just like a resume in that, Basically, you're not listing, well, these are the 17 articles that I've had rejected. Uh, these are the, uh, these are the, the negative book reviews that were, <laughs> that were penned about the book that I put out there, uh, you know, et cetera. And, and you don't even list the impact factor of the articles that you have. I mean, it's basically, well, what, what journals have you published your articles in? And, you know, are, if, if these are adequately peer-reviewed and, you know, top-tier top journals, then you're a better candidate than someone who hasn't published in those journals and so on. And there's a sort of arithmetic to it. But it doesn't really give you much more than, okay, this person has done some stuff on paper. Yeah. So, well, and, and I mean, for me, I've, I've worked for myself for almost 10 years now in in the, in the past 10 years, as I've worked with different people on or companies on their projects, I'll every now and then I'll get a request. Can you send me your resume? And when, when people ask me that, I, I've gotten to the point where I kind of look at them like, uh, are, are we are we in the year 2017 or what, what happened here? Uh, because you've got LinkedIn, you've got uh, like I do website development. So my body of work is actually you can. You've got a portfolio. Online. You go online. Yeah, there's a portfolio. Um, and so the idea of a resume to me is is crazy. And, and, and now even LinkedIn allows you to just do a PDF of your profile. So I, that, that's what I usually do now if somebody asks for a resume because <laughs> I don't actively keep a resume anymore. And when people ask me that, I, I, I just kind of look at them with a strange look because um, I just I think we're past that point. And, and that quote you just mentioned is a good reason why. I mean, it just embellishes everything and, and, um, removes all the failures. Yeah. But, so. and, but again, in academia, the CV as the, uh, the mark of who you are, who you are is your CV as much as anything yeah. else, uh, especially on the front end of hiring in academia. 
So, and that's, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah. you know, that, that's where, uh, it's, it's kind of backwards and antiquated in that regard. And I got a little frustrated as I was reading this book for that, re- for that reason, because a lot in this book made a lot of sense in terms of how yeah. things should work and they'd work better than the, than the, uh, current methods in, uh, employed in, in higher ed. Yeah. Well, on to the, uh, favorite quotes. My first one was who, not what pretty basic. Uh, but they, they go on, they say, who refers to the people you put in place to make the what decisions. And as you so adeptly put pointed out at the beginning, there still is a lot of requirement for the what. And uh, what I've seen in, in my work with different companies is that the what is, is rarely ever defined. So, um, this book is kind of a, a perfect case scenario of a hiring process. But as you said, the, what needs to be defined first of what you're even looking for, what the person will be doing, uh, what the company itself does and how that person will fit in. Um, and, and those are the more difficult things to define before you even get into, into the hiring process. So, uh, I, I like the, I, I like the focus of this book that it's, it's on the who, but, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that, that go into that, uh, just in addition to all the, the different components of, of, of hiring somebody. Yep. So my first favorite quote is beware Somebody who has an excessive need to be me, to be me, is telling you that they are not open to adapt their style to fit your culture or your company and should not be hired. This is part of a, you know, listen for, listen for comments like, that's just me, I'm not organized, or that's just me, I'm impatient. That's just me, I don't include other people in decisions. That's just the way I am. And that's where they say, beware. Somebody who has an excessive need to be me is telling you that they are not open to adapt their style to fit your culture or your company and should not be hired. And there are certain things like that in this book that sound so regressive uh, to certain to to an ear trained for you know certain identity culture type things and uh, 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 or identity aspects of this culture that oh well you know we all need to be accepting of who who you know you you need to accept who I am or I what what what. Uh, my life is really about is being true to myself. And in this book, there is that sense of if you find someone whose core uh, core uh, philosophy or core uh, source of, of, of how they live their life is to be true to themselves, don't hire that person. <laughs> that person is not going to be a good fit for any company. So uh, just go ahead and give them a hard pass, and uh, let's go ahead and move on. And All right, so that, yeah, don't, people, don't keep it real. Yeah. Don't keep it real. Well, keep it real, but keep it real without having to be, you know, true to yourself. Be willing to actually become your better self. Keep it adaptively real. <laughs> there you go. Keep it adaptively real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the thing is, who, we, who I am right now is not who I want to be in 10 years. I want to be better in 10 years than I am now. And, and, uh, you know, just being me is not going to be the way to, to get there. I have to actually go out of my way to improve. And, 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 uh, the way that they put that was, uh, was really pithy. And, uh, again, uh, struck me as something that there would be a reaction against by many people, but, uh, those are precisely the people that you shouldn't be hiring. Yeah. Well, and in that same section, uh, my second favorite quote, was was uh, right alongside that. Yeah, this and, is a uh, section just, on, uh, on on red flags in the hiring yeah, process. Yeah, and it just made me think of a, a certain country that just um, puts someone in power who's, <laughs> who speaks about this a lot. So it, winning too much, 
I would look out for people in the hiring process who boast about winning battles that do not matter that much. So I'll just leave that one at that. And, um, yep. yeah, it just made me think. Yeah. I loved the story where, uh, uh, that went with that, actually, where uh, he said, uh, for example, a friend of mine was boasting about how he bought a toy and then found somebody else across town who was selling it for half the price. So he told me about how he returned it, drove across town and bought the cheaper one. He won all right, but he spent two hours of his time to spend or to save 10 bucks. So his need to win in that way makes him do stupid things. You should be aware <laughs> of candidates who need to win to an unhealthy extent because they will be battling you and your colleagues over petty things. There's some wisdom there, man. Yeah. All right. My second quote. And, and last. And this is certainly, yeah, actually, I, you know, it's a short book. Uh, it's yeah. a, a quick read, so I didn't have a ton of stuff here. But um, my second, and, and this is definitely my favorite quote from the book, is talented people know what they want to do and are not afraid to tell you about it. Talented people know what they want to do and are not afraid to tell you about it. And this is when it's talking about, you know, you want to you want to get a sense of what this person's goals are and you as you're driving through the interview process. You want to find out what makes them, you know, what what do they want to do uh and what's what what are their professional goals and their aims and all this. And, you know, they basically say if he or she lacks goals or sounds like an echo of your own website, screen the person out. Because that means they're not they're not one of the talented people who's going to have their own head on their shoulders and is going to have a sense of direction. And they're not afraid to tell you about it. If they're that kind of talent, that's mm -hmm. the kind of person you want to have. And I found that interesting because again, that runs counter to a lot of our cultural forces where we, uh, we tend to want, we, we tend to, uh, to beware in popular culture and in the way that, you know, people are trained not to rock the boat, uh, just culturally, we tend to, to emphasize, uh, making sure that, you know, you're not too vocal about your goals or, or who you, uh, you know, what, what you want to, what you want to become, or, you know, all of these things, because you can sound cocky. And to some, mm -hmm. to some extent, they want that person who's maybe a little bit maybe on the edge of cocky as long as that person doesn't fit those needing to win win too much and some of these other red flags you've got to have somebody who is that driven that they want to tell you about what they're interested in yeah i mean very very good practical advice we we get into a little more of that later but i think those uh those quotes just show the the practicality of the book and 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 how it's 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 common sense stuff but it's it's maybe things that you haven't thought about in the sense of, of in the, within the hiring process. So I, I really appreciated that about the book. Yeah. Well, and this wasn't, wasn't in my quotes list, but it actually goes along with what you just said in terms of a lot of this book is obvious, right? Or it should mm -hmm. be obvious, but they, they have this quote that, that actually sort of puts in the, that explains the value of the book. It's not actually intended to, to serve as that because they're telling uh, those who are on hiring committees, make sure it says, don't be afraid to write down what might seem blindingly evident in the heat of a hiring crisis. The clearest things sometimes get overlooked. And that I think is the value of a book like this, where when you're actually going and starting the process of looking for someone to hire, or you're engaged in the process of, of, of hiring, you actually need to go back and, and think through the 
what should be common sense, what should be blindingly obvious. And that's mostly what they did in this book is they wrote down the blindingly obvious that unfortunately is not widely practiced. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into a little more of that nitty gritty of the, of the book. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me is, is just why, why, why is this important? Why is hiring important? Uh, and, and the first thing they mention is it's important because of the cost. The average hiring mistake costs 15 times an employee's base salary and hard costs and productivity loss. So a $100,000 employee will result in a $1.5 million loss. So picking the who, picking the right people is, is important for getting things done, the company culture, all that stuff, yes. But it's also very important. If you're looking to spend 100000 a year on, on an employee and you don't find the right one, it's you need to go ahead and, and realize that you're going to lose 1.5 million on average. <laughs> yeah. Or if you, if you want to bring it down to $30,000, right? So you're mm -hmm. just hiring a $30,000 employee. So that means somebody who's, who you're paying maybe 20,000 a year plus some benefits, right? Mm -hmm. A mistake there is going to cost a half a million dollars. Wow. <laughs> Those are real numbers, man. Yeah. It's 450,000, but I, I rounded up a little bit, but Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and again, what, what their, what their point is in, in writing this book is that hiring process, it's as, as their, their quote says, it is hard to see people for who they really are during the hiring process. When you're hiring somebody from outside, you're looking at that resume and the resume isn't going to tell you who they are. It's just telling you and, and a, uh, that embellished, failures removed version of this person that's going to look squeaky clean. And you just, you, you can't know based on looking on paper who this person really is. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, uh, it reminds me of the quote, uh, I, I may get it wrong, just a little bit wrong, but you know, uh, we wanted workers and we got people instead. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that's the reality that everybody has to face is that when you hire someone to do a job, you're actually hiring a person that then you actually have to deal with and, and wait, work wait, wait, with. Wait, I, I thought there were resources. I thought there were human resources. <laughs> they're yeah. Wait, they're people? Yeah, yeah, they're human resources. That's the, that's the problem, right? And, and, and it's also the benefit. If you hire the right kind of person, if you hire a good who or whom, uh, then, uh, then you're going to actually get the benefits of having a human being, a person, rather than just a resource. But if it goes the other direction, that person is going to help pull you back in the opposite direction. Yeah. One is you mentioned the, uh, an objective standard. They, they, they give good ways to do that. And one is, is they use a scorecard and they use that in the selection and what they call the sell process. So the selection is, is obviously choosing amongst different uh, people and the sell process is, is to then sell that person the job. And they, they give different ways to do that. Um, even, selling to the, to the person's family. Um, if, if especially if, if it's going to be a move for the family, um, <laughs> which, which is interesting because that actually, and, and this gets, I'm going to get into this a couple other times that breaks into some of those legal gray areas. 
right? Because mm-hmm. you're not actually allowed, and, and they mention this, like, make sure you don't ask illegal questions, like whether someone's married or, you know, whether they have family or these other things. And then, of course, they say, but you need to recruit their family. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that, that is an interesting thing. There's a lot of, a lot of places in this book where it kind of comes up and you're like, mm, interesting how this works legally because you have to be really careful to apply this well. Otherwise you could potentially end up in legal trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, and, and but the scorecard, into yeah. the, yeah, the scorecard and then just getting into more of the, the practical, practical advice, um, I mean, these are these are just gems. Like, if you haven't read the book, uh, it, just even hearing these things is uh, is just very helpful. So I've got five that really stuck, or one one from you and, and a few from me that really stuck out. Um, is the first one is just if you're if you're looking to hire, ask your existing employees for recommendations. <laughs> I, I remember uh, I, I in college I worked at a Mexican restaurant and and uh, my boss asked me for for recommendations. Uh, for, for other, for my friends, if, if they were interested in working and, and he ended up hiring two of my friends. Um, so Biggest I guess that mistake was, he's ever made. I know, I know. And, and, and the Mexican <laughs> restaurant is no longer there, uh, as a result. So, uh, that was a mistake, but it was a good <laughs> advice. Um, uh, this, this I thought was just really smart. It, when, when you're sitting down with the person, you, uh, you ask them to spell out their previous boss's name. So even if it's like Smith, you say, so Smith, like S-M-I-T-H. Yeah, well, and, yeah Smith. and this is right in the context of, so if I'm going to contact, when I, when I contact your boss for, uh, to, to talk about, uh, you know, the, you as a, uh, as a, uh, as a reference, uh, make sure I, I got his name right. And then you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and for the purpose <laughs> in starting off the, the, the interview with that for the purpose of, if it puts, it puts the person in the mindset of, okay, th- this person is going to contact my boss. I, I need to be completely straightforward. It just, it does something to the candidate to where it's, it, it gives them the, the impression, even if you're, you're not planning to, to contact that particular boss, um, or anyone of their, their previous, uh, employers, the fact that you're asking that it, it, it these guys say that it helps, uh, the person be a little more uh, genuine in their, their answers. It makes a lot of sense too, just psychologically. Because again, the mindset changes of what is my boss going to say? I'd better say something that's going to work with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, it takes, it takes the person out of the resume mode of, of embellishment and, Hmm, I, I, I think I'm good at that, but I messed up a few. So there might be a balance, a better balance I can, can present here. So yeah. The, yeah. One other one hitting the gong fast. I liked that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, using the gong, the old gong show as a, as a, uh, I guess there, there's a reboot of the Gong Show coming out at some point. I I, I don't know if that's hit or not. I, I I don't really pay attention, but apparently uh, there's one coming out. But the uh, you know basically uh, don't linger with candidates who might be a bad match. You know once you've deci- decided ah you know this person probably doesn't work, don't send them to you know other colleagues to interview that person hoping that they'll find something that you didn't. Just hit the gong and move on to the next person because there will be some. Don't waste your time on on someone that you that that isn't already clearly what you want. When you could find that next when when the next person may be that person. So hit the gong quickly. Again, mm-hmm. don't waste time. Yeah, in 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 line with that, interrupt the candidate. <laughs> I love so, that one. Yeah, if they, if they're just going on about something and and you get the you either get the point or you know they're they're. Uh, 
they're probably embellishing. Just just interrupt them and move on to the next thing. It, it, time, time is money. <laughs> and the last one, uh, talk to subordinates in addition to bosses. So I most people just, just ask for... Um, you know, give me give me a list of your bosses so I can talk to them. But what about the people under them, especially if you're hiring that, hiring that person to manage uh, a number of people in the company? Uh, make make sure that the people under them like them, because that'll probably be, even be more important than than uh, their one boss liking them. The fact that they can they have good working relationships with with everyone who will will be under them. Yeah, and and actually, I thought you know again, some of this is is we're mixing some some of the sections here because what they did is they divided it into, uh, you know, setting your scorecard, uh, so that having to do with how you're going to define the job, and then sourcing, right? So you have to you have to find out where you have to find a way to get employees uh, or get people to apply. You have to have a pool from which you can pull, mm-hmm. and then it's selection, which is the actual interview process. And then it's the recruitment side of things, actually attracting that person uh, uh, there. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're, they're trying to you know, make sense of that whole process going step by step. We're mixing a little bit of that. But one of the things that, that I really liked was how they, they, it, there was a coherent uh, way of, of going through each piece. And some of these pieces work together once you actually combine the whole book. So again, talking to subordinates in addition to bosses and asking existing employees for recommendations, those go together, right? So when you're talking to someone who is a subordinate as a reference, right, you want to talk to, uh, and they're talking about like, you know, find seven or eight references. Once a person gets far along into the, into the, into the process, talk to a bunch of people who've worked with or for that person. And that goes together with the existing employees for recommendations, right? So sourcing may already start with, well, I've already talked to a couple people who can who are solid references for this person, or I may have looked at this person's LinkedIn profile uh, and they're linked to someone who I know, and that person wrote a very solid uh, recommendation on LinkedIn for this person. So I'm going to go ahead and give them a look. So much of this process uh, that they're putting in this book depends on that word of mouth aspect or you know talking to or uh, addressing uh, people who have worked with this person before. This 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 reference aspect is on both the front and the back end of how they're doing it. And to me, that 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 makes so much sense because if you really want to know who a person is, talk to people who've worked with that person. Don't look at their resume. Talk to somebody who's actually done a project with that person, or has actually supervised that person, or has been supervised by that person, or ideally all of the above. And you'll have a pretty good idea of who that person is really rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that they basically put that on the front end with getting recommendations and, and keeping a list of people that have been recommended to you before. I mean, they mentioned one executive who keeps a weekly call list that he goes down. You know, he's got like a spreadsheet where, you know, every week he calls a couple people. He, he sets time aside to call a couple people who are on his possible uh, hire list, you know, for the future to just talk to them and to make that contact and to maintain that contact. And then when he talks to them, he, he'll try to pull another couple names of, well, you know, also, you know, if, if I ever have an opening, is there anybody that you would know that we would, that we would do? And then he adds that person to his list and he just keeps that weekly call list going. To me, that is so smart in terms of doing it, doing the sourcing process differently 
again, de- dealing like pro- with proactively. Yeah, proactively well. and working from the uh, from from recommendations and and uh, and references on the front end rather than the back end, and that just makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know that at that opposed to what they refer to early in the book as voodoo hiring methods, right? They they talk about you know you've got to get out of the habit of passively witnessing how someone acts during an interview. I mean, come on, you're going to make a decision on hiring someone who you may have to work with for a decade plus on how they on, on what they looked like or how they how they seemed to behave or how they acted for like half an hour or an hour or you know if it's a really big interview process a day or two you know while you you only have a few you know at most a few a few hours of a certain day with this person you're going to find you're going to hire someone based on that cuz you know different people when they're under the under the stress of of that interview you know you're going to get different things some people are going to be themselves other people are not and you just don't know what you're getting out of that and they just say listen this is all voodoo and uh, there's you know they they make the case that both the data and you know anecdotally uh the 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 basic uh, the basic rule of thumb is uh, is that uh, there is that, that basically it's totally random uh, what's what's what the results are uh, based on interviews and I'm I'm trying to find the quote here that uh, that that interviews or the the standard interview process the common interview process here we go common interview processes are almost a random predictor of job performance. So you could basically just hire anyone. Just flip a coin. Yeah, flip. You know, once somebody's applied to it, just flip a coin. And you know, again, this this goes to this is where I get really frustrated because, as they say, you know, the sourcing part was probably the most interesting to me in in many respects. Although, again, the referencing thing, references thing, will come up again because I'm, I'm I was really interested in that. Because again, universities and academic hiring process, they, it, it's totally different. What they say is the overwhelming evidence from our field interviews is that ads, job ads, are a good way to generate a tidal wave of resumes, but a lousy way to generate the right flow of, of candidates. You know how every academic job search starts and has to start in most cases by law with a job exactly ad that gets posted. That. And yep. then, you know, in my field, you say 150 or 200 uh, CVs and cover letters and whatever else they require go in. And then you, you know, sit in your committee sits in the room and you sift through all those and you narrow it down to your 15 or 20 candidates that you give a, a 20 minute or 30 minute, uh, first round interview, often either at the, at a conference or via Skype or something like that. And then it gets narrowed down to three from those. And then you bring those people on campus and you, you hopefully hire one of them. Well, and what, what I saw in a, in a company to be unnamed, is is that they already had someone in mind, but by law they had to put it out. Oh, that happens a lot in the paper, and so and then you've got all these people putting in resumes and cover letters and spending time to do this, and they're just throwing them all away because they they just legally had to do it, but they already they already know who they're going to hire. Yeah, that unfortunately happens quite a bit too. Although again, if you're if you're if you're the company and you already know this person is going to be a good fit for the scorecard we have, then yeah, it makes sense to just hire that person. Yeah. But, you know, to me, I, I just get frustrated by the way that these things work at the university level, uh, partly because, you know, I've been on the job market in that, in that, in that world for a while, uh, and I've totally lost faith in how that job market works uh, based on who I see getting hired at some of these places, knowing what the job search uh, 
said, knowing that mm-hmm. I've had interaction with this person in various ways over time. And it's like, wait, they hired that person for that job. Like I know at least eight or nine people that I've worked with in the past that are better candidates for that job. Like objectively, there's no way that that person is even close to as good of a candidate as these like eight or 10 other people. Yeah. And it may not even be me in that group. Right. I, I may just go, well, you know, when I, I'm applying to the job, who, who knows? I mean, it's a ran, it's a random predictor in terms of in terms of almost random in terms of whether you get interviews or not. It seems like in, in academia anyway. But, you know, some of the time, some of the time, the people that get hired, it's just baffling. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's 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 very, very strange. And to me, it would just make so much more sense. And I would prefer it. I mean, it would benefit me uh, if basically university committees would say, okay, you can apply or whatever. But essentially once we, once we get narrowed down to like the 30 or so that, you know, on paper, we know that you've published enough or whatever that you could get tenure here or whatnot. From there, we're not, we're not even going to do first round interviews. We're just going to talk to like seven or eight people who've worked with, with you, who you've worked for, et cetera, et cetera. We're just going to talk to them and we're going to see what your references say. Well, danged if that wouldn't help, (laughs) like would this person fit what we want for the job? Well, yeah. I, I guarantee you that would be better outcomes that would lead to better outcomes in academia. But basically, nobody does it that way. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> well, since since this book is in the middle of a of a effective executive and, and start with why I thought it'd be a good idea to to discuss commonalities and differences with the effective executive. And then uh, next week, when we when we discuss start with why we can discuss all three of these books. Uh, but but there were a few similarities, and, and one was that uh, that these authors of who say that there are no generalists, there are only specialists, and that was something we discussed quite a bit last week. In um, you know, look, you, you've got to focus on 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 one major thing, and the more you try to do a bunch of different things, it's it's not gonna gonna work. And this actually is is coming up uh, quite a bit in Plato that I'm reading right now, The Republic, uh, when they talk about different uh different working methods and roles uh, in society as well as as, yeah. as as he puts that forward and again all this yeah. is in the context of an organization right yeah this is not saying that someone can't do multiple things and do them excellently but what it is saying is if you're hiring someone for a position in an organization and this is where drucker makes that distinction it does you no good to get someone who's me- who who is above average at like 10 things but you're only hiring that person for one or two Get someone mm-hmm. who's excellent at that one or two. And, and, you know, they're saying the same thing here. And, of course, that makes sense because uh, Smart actually was a graduate student under Peter Trucker. So, yeah. Well, and um, uh, one, a few places. Yeah, yeah. So we see we see Drucker mentioned throughout the book, uh, starting in the introduction. So uh, you can you can tell that, that, that Drucker's had a, a big impact on these guys. Uh, but they do differ on uh, one point. In, in particular, and that is with chemistry over contribution. Uh, there's a quote on page 32 and 33 where it says chemistry, and they're actually quoting uh, uh, Bill Johnson, the CEO of Heinz. Chemistry is always important for both the individual and the company. If I don't have good chemistry with you and you don't have good chemistry with me, then skip it. Connecting with them personally is important. That becomes obvious in my initial conversations with a candidate. So this differs somewhat from uh, Drucker, who on page 74 of The Effective Executive says, 
Effective executives never ask, how does he get along with me? Their question is, what does he contribute? He, uh, obviously, that being he, he or she in, um, in the hiring process. But that, uh, th- that's something where they differ. They, in the, the, the Who book, they, um, they talk a little more about uh, chemistry and, and getting the right person in, in there. And Drucker is more about look at what he contributes he or she contributes before the question of, of chemistry. They, they, they seem to, to flip those around the, the two of them. Yeah. It was interesting to see some of those differences and there were a few, uh, but, but even where there were differences, they were developing Drucker as much as anything. It was, uh, it was just saying, well, you know, Drucker says this about objective, but it has, you have to keep this in mind as well. And I, I, I'm guessing that, uh, for the most part, Drucker would, would agree with where they're, where they're going. Uh, especially since they're, they're starting again from these are the objectives of the job mm-hmm. that comes up front for them. Uh, and actually that's useful. Even once you have employees, if you haven't set a scorecard for your employees by which they can be objectively uh, assessed, then doing step one of what this book recommends for hiring is actually a useful exercise. Even when you have employees already, because mm-hmm. it, it helps you assess the, uh, the performance that, that you're getting. So, uh, and Drucker would certainly be, uh, in favor of that. Yeah. Well, and they, they both agree on focusing on strengths, uh, to, to be exceptional at one thing, uh, more of that uh, kind of along the lines of the first thing I mentioned of no generalists there, there are only specialists or you should only be hiring them. Um, so yeah, yeah. just neat, neat book to read right after, uh, effective executive. Yeah, and there's there's also one other thing there in terms of of, of the, the hiring, the excellence, and all this, and this this gets away. There, this gets to helping understand what they mean by chemistry as well. What they don't mean by chemistry is someone who's really good with the soft skills, and is you know going to be uh, someone that everybody likes to be around, right? The, the the issue is, do you fit the culture and the vision of the company? And mm. for that, I thought the the cheetahs versus lambs thing that they that they did uh, starting on page one sixty was really interesting uh, in terms of yeah. which CEOs were, were were had been successful in, in in the jobs to which they were hired. Yeah, that was excellent. I, I, it was so excellent. I, I think you should read it. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to turn that one over to you. You're you're the, oh, okay. uh, the CEO here. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. The, uh, this was this is one of the main things that stuck out to me. Uh, so I'm going to read the Lamb section first. Boards and investors have a tendency to invest in CEOs who demonstrate openness to feedback, possess great lis- listening skills, and treat people with respect. These are executives who have mastered the soft skills. We call them Lambs because the CEOs tend to graze in circles, feeding on the feedback and direction of others. Boards love Lambs because they are so easy to work with. And in fact, in our study, Lambs were successful 57% of the time. That's not a bad success rate. A batter who hit 570 over a career could walk backwards into the Hall of Fame. The second dominant profile that emerged from our our analysis was of CEOs who move quickly, act aggressively, work hard, demonstrate persistence, and set high standards and hold people accountable to them. We call these CEOs cheetahs because they are fast and focused. Cheetahs in our study were successful 100% of the time. This is not a rounding error. Every <laughs> single one of them created significant value for their investors. Every single one in the study. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. 
And, and, and again, this gets back to when, I, when we were reading the, executive, or the effective executive, you remember that, uh, or the effective executive. Effective. Yeah, you remember that, uh, that I, I, I'd said that much of that book reminded me of Steve Jobs. Yeah. And Steve Jobs was no lamb, right? I mean, yeah. he, was, he was not a pleasant person to be around in many, many ways. Uh, many people cried. Yeah, he made people cry. He put a, t- a ton of pressure on people and everything. But man, if that guy wasn't, you know, a great CEO. He he built a company that had a culture that you know that people who who've worked there have generally loved it. They people uh, who worked with him stayed there and they wanted to work with him. And it's not because he was he was touchy feely. It's because he was driven and he held a standard and uh, and had a very clear vision and would would very quickly go after that vision and require other people to go with him. So I thought that well, was interesting. My, my favorite story of, of Jobs is that uh, he once told Bill Gates that his product was poop. And instead <laughs> of using the word poop, he yeah. used the word that starts with S-H-I-T. Yeah, the, the, one, that, <laughs> the one that we're going to avoid on this show to maintain, maintain our uh, non-explicit rating. Yeah, but you told, you told that to Bill Gates. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, well, well. He also told Bill Gates that uh, that Gates would, you know, that Gates basically had boring, uh, boring products, and that he'd be better off if he did some, if he, uh, if he went to an ashram and did some, and, and did some acid. <laughs> so I mean, there's that too. So I mean, Gates is, an inter- do, or, or, uh, Jobs is an interesting guy. <laughs> yeah, but I do think jo- uh, Gates was one of the guys who also visited Jobs towards the end. Oh yeah. So yeah. He, he was in, in the inner circle, you know I mean? They, yeah. They had enough respect for each other that, um, that, uh, that they, they were able to get past, past those things. <laughs> well, I don't know that he was actually even getting past those things. I think it was just, that's jobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's not no getting past it because that is him. Yeah. <laughs> you get past it and you're past him. So, uh, but again, if you want perform, if you want your company to do well, you get people who are going to do the job well, not necessarily somebody you want to go to drinks with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you get somebody who does the job well, it may turn out that you actually want to go get drinks with that person as a result. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, you know, it's putting the first things first and the second things not at all in that regard. Uh, but again, still having a focus on the chemistry, on what is needed for the role and what kind of company do we have? Do we have a company where conflict is, 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 a regular part of, of, of the day, or do we have a company where that's going to, that's going to actually affect negatively affect everybody around? That's going to depend, that's going to determine which type of person you hire, but you still want to hire a cheetah who's going to fit your culture. And I think that's where they, where they go with this. I had one, one other item I wanted to, to hit on and, and they talk a lot about personal integrity outside of the work environments. And it reminded me of a, of a, a guy that my wife and I worked with in the UK and he used to, um, he, he hired a lot of people and he would, uh, he would do something where he would give them some money to go buy something in a, in a grocery store. And, and then he would just sit back and watch how they treated the person at the, at the counter. And he, he would, he would, he would base a lot of decisions off of that. You know, did they, were they really dismissive of that person? Uh, it was an organization that their, their goal was to, to really care for people. And, and so if, if the person he was looking at went up to the counter and, and obviously didn't care anything about the person behind the counter, that told them a lot about, uh, about the person. And so I thought that, well, 
they brought it up a lot in the book and then it just reminded me of that story and, 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 um, and how important it is to, to look at candidates. If you can, if you can get them out of the stale environment of, of sitting in a, a office and doing the interview, but if you can get them outside of, of that and, and see them around other people, see them in different situations than some really weird 30 minutes of sitting down asking questions. Yeah, although I, I have to say, you know, where getting them into those situations in an interview context mm-hmm. is still giving an artificial view because I mean, he, yeah. even if a person is uh, a donkey, that person may be smart enough not to be so in the hour and a half meal that they have with the job search committee or something. Yeah, what yep. you can do though is. And this is where the, the book is, 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 I think, hits it out of the park is talk to their subordinates, talk to people who've been around them in those cases and ask specifically about that stuff. You know, if you can find that out. And, and the other thing is, again, this gets back to sourcing. Hire people you've been around before the interview. Hire people that you've sourced before you actually get to that point. And you've actually been around them in a meal setting or you've been on a flight with them or you whatever. And you, 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 you take notes of, okay, this person was actually, you know, courteous and, and, uh, a decent person to the people that were in the service industry around, around her or him in that environment. And I'm going to take note of that for if we ever have to hire this person. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to the conclusions, Back, come back to the big picture, talk about recommendations, anything else here. Uh, I think you've got the most uh, to say in this section, so uh, turn it over to you. All right, and, and I've hit on, on a lot of these, so I'll just keep this brief. And, and my first thing is that this is a great reference book. It, it will be helpful for when I, I am hiring. I, I can imagine someone reading this who is in the midst of hiring or, or will be hiring soon. This would be extremely valuable. Um, so yeah, I, I, great, good advice, smart advice, and 176 pages, 174. So you, you can you can get it through it pretty quickly. So, um, in in terms of hiring books, I, I haven't read other ones that I know of, but uh, this one seems to be a, a good one. Um, the one thing uh, that I wish they had addressed was was how a company would find somebody like like me. Uh, I'm not actively looking for a job. But that it doesn't mean that I'm not interested, and I, I'm a, I have my own company, but I'm a freelancer of sort in the sense of I just work with different companies on their their web presence, um, other marketing how, aspects, yeah, yeah, on their on their marketing aspects. But how how would a company approach trying to find someone like me? I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sending in resumes and that sort of thing. I think there's just a, a lot uh, bigger job pool than than people consider out there, especially when some of the numbers out there are saying that 33% of, of the workforce is freelancers now. So they may not be actively searching for jobs, but they, they may be interested or, or it, they, there could be an opportunity where you're not just looking at, at the people sending in their resumes, but you're, you're broadening that, uh, by, by doing searches within LinkedIn or, or different things like that to find, uh, or, or just even asking other people who they who they use, uh, I, I, I would have liked to have seen a little more uh, addressed on that. 
or even topic. how to hire how to hire a, a good freelancer is another issue, right? I mean, yeah. So not even taking someone from the freelance world and saying, well, we want to incorporate this person into our company, but how do you make sure that you hire someone good who does say does the sort of thing that you do? How do you how do you go about that process and finding and sourcing those people and interviewing them and making sure that you get the best product possible? That, that's another question, right? And that's a totally other issue because you're not actually incorporating that person into your organization, but that person is instrumental to the mission of the organization. So you better, you better pick a good one. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are your, uh, your main takeaways from the book? Um, aside from just a little bit of uh, frustration about the, uh, the way that academia does basically everything exactly the opposite of how this, <laughs> this book suggests to do it, uh, Aside from that, I, I will say that the book in a, a few cases made me reconsider a little bit about uh, how how to how to best answer certain questions in interviews. Um, hmm. And, you know, basically, certain, it, it's always good to have uh, have thought through what, po you know, certain possible questions that you might get in interviews and how to uh, present weaknesses or, you know, past failures or whatever. Um, and. That that sort of thing is 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 always tricky, but this book I'm I'm going to revisit this anytime I I have an interview myself uh, to talk about how or to think about how I'm I, I would actually want to best present myself in these interviews, even though people generally are doing the voodoo technique uh, rather than you know any sort of r rational way of of hiring uh, that has a good chance of of success. There are certain things like where they say, you know, a major red flag during the hiring process is that the candidate does not mention past failures. That's one, you know, I starred that and it's like, well, you know, in, in the interview process, I'm, I'm generally not fronting past failures and actually I have to think about, I, th I have to think kind of hard about, okay, well, what past failures do I really have, you know, as I go through, you know, and, and thinking about how to, how to consider what might constitute a past failure and, and how, how I should, you know, have, I should think through that and, and, uh, be more prepared for that in an interview. Um, because I mean, just listing, well, I haven't landed an, a tenure track academic job as a past failure, uh, probably isn't, isn't what they're, what they're imagining. Yeah. Uh, but you know, a lot of job, job searches, a lot of job, uh, committees do ask that question of, you know, what, what, what's a weakness that you have or what, what, what are, what's a past failure and how did you deal with it in various areas? And I think that's an, that's an area where I can get better as an interview, as an interviewee. Uh, and there are a few other things, you know, over the course of the book that it's not just worth the read for those who are in the hiring position. I think it's worth, worth it for those who are potential, potentially being interviewed to again, think about how this would make a person, uh, how this would affect the, per the perception of a person in that interview process. Though I, I again, I just wish that, uh, you know, people would call if you're listening to this, uh, as someone who is potentially interviewing me down the line, I just listen, find anybody who's ever worked with me before and call them. You'll find out who I am very quickly. I'm comfortable with you talking to anyone that I've worked with or for, or who's worked for me before. I, I would rather you do that than talk to me. You'll, you'll figure a lot more out with that than you will any other way. And, and again, this book uh, does a good job of explaining why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and along that, those lines, I, I mean, I could see myself in an interview like where they ask, what's your weakness? 
turning it into like a humble brag thing where, well, I just care too much, you know, and, and that's my, my biggest weakness. And, so, and I think it's a lot, how a lot of people answer those types of questions, but they, they gave the I example too of, hard. of, yeah, I worked, <laughs> I work 18 <laughs> hours a day. It just, yeah. I, um, I just don't have good homework balance. I just give everything to the company. <laughs> Yeah, okay. But they give the, they give the example of uh, Jamie Diamond. Yeah, I Diamond. Think yeah. Uh, for J.P. Morgan, or, d- and yeah. um, he, he, they kept pressing him. You know what? What happened with this job? What happened? What happened? And finally, he just said, "I, I was fired. fired." Okay, I was fired. <laughs> and uh, that that I guess, according to these authors, was one one of the reasons that he got the job because he was just candid about it and it wasn't like, well. You know, I, I, um, I didn't agree with my boss. And so I, I just decided it was time to go. He just said I was fired. Yep. Yep. Which, I mean, I'm, I, I think that can work just fine in some cases. In some cases that probably isn't going to work, but yeah, yeah. we'll tell you a little bit again, it's about fit. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about that, you know, you, you need to make sure that you, that you, uh, that you value fit a great deal and that, that it turned out that his candor is exactly what they wanted. Now, in some cases that may not work, but, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, thinking about what real weaknesses might be versus, you know, the, the humble brag version and actually being able to put a real weakness in, in play. Uh, and I can think of a few, of a few real weaknesses that I've had or that I still have. Uh, one of which is difficulty saying no, uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to certain things, which then allows, uh, you know, gets away from the focus that I need to have, which is something we've talked about on this podcast, <laughs> Uh, previously, as you know, big emphases uh, of a lot of the books that we've read so far is you know learn to say no so that you can be really good at the thing at the couple things that you value, uh, and that you know that's one I'm, I'll probably roll with in the future. But uh, but anyhow, yeah, that would that that's that's probably the biggest aside from just frustration with the academic work pl- workforce that that I had. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this this uh, this week. And today, before we get out of here, just a reminder, follow us along, booksoftitans.com, Twitter, Instagram, at Books of Titans. And we're all up on all the podcast things, Stitcher, iTunes, Android. Uh, and I looked at some of the stats this past week. I see that people are listening from, from all over the world and, and on a lot of different devices. So that, that's really encouraging. And, and we, uh, if, if you like it, Give us some reviews and, and tell your friends about the podcast. We we want uh, more people to enjoy this and to hear it. And we're, we're having fun doing it. So uh, hopefully you're having fun listening to it. We'd also appreciate any feedback you have. You can uh, you can email from the from the website itself or, or hit us up on, on any of the social platforms. Next week, we're, we're talking about Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Awesome book. I uh, can't wait to discuss it. On behalf of Jason Staples, I'm Eric Rossin, and this has been the Books of Titans podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep listening, keep reading, keep improving, and keep adaptively real. I made this.